0: Good morning everyone and welcome to our service whether you're in church or whether you're at home. Thank you so much for joining us. I am pleased this morning to welcome back to our pulpit the Reverend Robert Feisman. Robert was with us last in July and Robert thank you so much for coming back today to lead our service. And Robert's accompanied today by his son Daniel. So Daniel you too are very welcome to our worship in Ballycrogan. Thank you for coming. Now first piece of Action this morning, so to speak, is a presentation, and Pat Woods is coming forward to make it.
1: Good morning, everyone. I am sure that you are all aware that due to COVID almost all organised Christian camps and holidays have been cancelled for quite some time now. But Thankfully, lately, some of them have begun to return, even if that is in limited and sometimes strange ways. A few weeks ago, Ballycrocken Schism returned and again, it was a great success. Here in Ballycrocken we have a strong history of our young people and indeed our adults engaging in this area of service. And I'm pleased to tell you that one of our members, Amy McCormick, was part of the SISM team here this year. In Ballycrocken, we have a student mission bursary fund. The aim of that is to assist those attending camps and holidays and also those who volunteer as leaders and helpers. And I'm delighted to tell you that Kirk session and committee... I've agreed to make Amy an award from the Bursary Fund and I'd ask Amy just to come up and join me. Amy I want to thank you on behalf of the Kirk Session and all of your church family here in Ballycrocken for your service with SISM this year and also to acknowledge and thank you all the work that you do with mm-hmm. children and young people here in Ballycrock throughout the year. Thank you very much. Well done.
0: <laughs> thank you, Pat, for doing that for us. And Amy, thank you for all that you do for church. Thank you. Now the announcements Sunday Club and Bible class they're In full operation from today, uh, they start at 11 o'clock in the SPU and they continue until the service is over. So if you're coming to church and you're bringing your children, you can leave them off at the SPU. Come and join us in the service and collect them there afterwards. And Sunday Club will continue now each Sunday at 11 o'clock, as will Bible class. We are hoping that the crash will be available from next Sunday. It will be in the quiet room and if you want to bring children to it then you can bring them along go to the creche Denise will be looking after it and you can talk to her about any aspects of your children Youth Fellowship it's for those who are 12 years and older boys or girls it meets on two Fridays per month and it's usually from 7:30 until 10 o'clock it's sometimes in the SPU and sometimes they have a night out it starts this Friday the 10th of September and if you want more information talk to Amy she's the leader so if you talk to Amy she will be able to tell you what's happening and what's going on and so on now BB, you'll think BB Boys Brigade but this year the Boys Brigade has been given permission to begin a Girls' Association as well so the BB and Girls' Association are now going to meet in church their meeting starts from tomorrow night and the age groups are as follows 6.30 to 7.45 that's the anchors, that's P1 to P4 and 6.30 to 7.45 the juniors P5 to P7 So basically if the children are at primary school it's 6.30 to 7.45 For the older ones in the company section that's 8 o'clock until 9.45 and if you need further details you can talk to Karen, the BB captain Now PW Circle of Friends they will have their first meeting tomorrow night, but that's been postponed for a month. So the first meeting for PW Circle of Friends will be on Monday, the fourth of October. Gentlemen, breakfast this Saturday in the Salty Dog, eight o'clock. If you're coming, please speak to Bill Aiken so that he can inform the caterers of the number who will be attending and the food that will be required. Now, an update on the vacancy just to bring you into the picture applications have been received and candidates were interviewed over the weekend Friday night and yesterday the outcome of those interviews is now with Presbytery so we are awaiting on Presbytery's direction to go forward from here so that's the stage that we have reached and that's just to bring you into the picture and finally it is with deep sadness that I announced the death on Friday morning of Lily Sterling. Lily former elder of the church, a long time member, a great servant of the church sadly passed away on Friday morning. We extend our sympathy to her daughters Laura and Fiona and we ask that God will be with them at this time. Lily's funeral service will be tomorrow week at 10.30 here in church and the reason for the delay is that Lily is being taken to Roselawn after the service and getting access to Roselawn has taken some time so to Fiona and Laura that whole family circle we extend our love and our prayers it's now Robert my privilege to invite you to lead our service this morning thank you We continue our service this morning by
2: singing together God of Grace. seated now we're going to pray to the Lord let us pray our Heavenly Father we thank you gathered here this morning in this house of God this building is dedicated to giving glory to the living God and we thank you Lord for all the decades in which people have from this pulpit declared the unsearchable riches of Christ do pray father that you will be honoured this morning. We pray, Father, to thank you. You are the living God. You are the unchanging God. You are the rock. You are immovable. You are utterly reliable. We thank you, Lord. And we thank you that once the very Son of God visited this earth to show us exactly what the Father is like, to demonstrate from the gracious words that dropped from his lips exactly what God is like thank you Lord he visited Judea walked among men and he demonstrated your love we thank you Lord though rejected by so many thank you Lord he went through the rejection went through abuse went through false trial went through physical and mental suffering even had to put up with being cut off from the Father for a while. But we thank you, Lord, in spite of his immeasurable suffering. We thank you that Jesus broke the bonds of death. And we thank you, Lord, that every Lord's Day, this one included, is a reminder to us of the resurrection of Jesus. So, Lord, there's always something to celebrate on the first day of the week. So we pray, Lord, that we will rejoice in our hearts. Lord, though we get older and weaker, perhaps as the years go by, we must always look forward to being with the Lord forever, world without end and without any discomfort, without any suffering. Thank you, Lord, for all of the promises of God. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus will come again soon. Lord, we see this world is tired and we see all the things that have been predicted through the lord jesus and others there's terrible suffering in the world there's poverty there are wars and rumors of wars pestilence all sorts of things that have been predicted earthquakes the earth itself is suffering and yet all these things point to the very near return of the lord jesus and we thank you lord we should be praying for this Do pray indeed, Lord, that you will come again very soon and there'll be the most almighty changes with your return. Lord, these are things to look forward to. Do pray, Father, you will bless us in this fellowship. Think, Lord, of the family of of Lily Sterling who's been called home. Think, Lord, of Laura and Fiona and others in the family. Pray, Lord, you'll be pleased to give them the comfort only God can give. Pray, Lord, you will... Bless our fellowship here be pleased Lord to bless everything that takes place in this service reading of the scriptures the sermon singing of hymns prayers that are said in our hearts prayers that are said openly also, also we pray Lord bless the whole mix of things this morning and we pray indeed Lord as we began to ask you will be glorified but the people helped also These things we ask in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Going to sing again. No one but you, Lord. now to the reading of the Word of God. The scripture I'm going to read is what I've based my sermon on, so we'll come back to this a little later. Now, I don't know if any friends here have brought your own Bible with you. You may have. It may not quite match the text I've got in front of me. I'm going to read your church, put your pulpit Bible. This is the New International Version. I'll explain something about the text when I come to the sermon. So this is John 5, And the first 11 verses John 5 verses 1 to 11 this reads as follows some time later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda which is surrounded by five covered colonnades here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat but he replied the man who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk the lord blessed to us the reading of his perfect word we will return to this shortly going to sing again jesus christ i think upon your sacrifice going to pray again before we come to our sermon. Let's pray to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you invite us to pray to you. We thank you, Lord, you want us to communicate with you. Thank you, Lord, that you made us. You made Adam, then Eve, and from them the whole human race. And we thank you, Lord, that Though Adam disobeyed you and the whole human race fell, what a fool that was. And So we became a spoiled image of God. We thank you that the last Adam visited earth and he is perfect. In him is no mar. In him is no imperfection. In him there is no sin. And we thank you that the last Adam has more than made up for what Adam did we thank you that because of what Jesus has achieved on our behalf that we can have forgiveness of our sins and we can enjoy the gift of eternal life pray Lord to thank you you are indeed a gracious God you're the only God and you're a gracious God we pray Lord that be pleased to bless us Lord you know all about the various forms of the world Crisis, whatever is the origin of it, and we should not be ignorant of the devices of Satan, who has all sorts of little tricks to confuse mankind, but we pray, Father, you'll help us to be wise, you'll help us in the current situation and there's so much turmoil in so many ways, not just physical but also political a very. Great difficulties all around us, but we pray, Father, help us in spite of the confusion around, help us, Lord, to be for ourselves firm and clear, clinging on to Jesus, appealing to the living God first in any problems that affect us. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless the people in this local fellowship here at Ballycrochan, that you would bless us, Lord, in our physical health, bless us, Lord, mentally and bless us spiritually that we should be strong in the lord and in the power of your might and we do pray father bless each individual and each family that's represented here this morning pray lord that you'll watch over us and help us lord in our lives and lord there may be some people we're concerned about at the moment there might be a friend we've witnessed to or a colleague at work someone in need in some way so Lord we bring them before you now ask Lord for your touch upon them it might be someone who's unwell or someone who is considering the claims of the Lord upon their their life pray Lord you will help them through pray Lord that you'll help in the next few moments help me Lord to rightly divide the Word of God not cause any confusion I pray Lord that each one of us will go home with something from the Lord we'll be able to remember this text and it will be something very valuable that we can retain that's going to help us today and each day and Lord we thank you that when the disciples asked him the the Lord taught the disciples to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name We come now to our sermon. So if you have a Bible with you, perhaps you'll turn with me to what we have for our reading from John 5. And I read from the opening verse to verse 11. We're actually going to look at the whole text a little further beyond our reading. So in other words, we're going to consider the first 18 verses altogether. But before I dig into the sermon at all, I've got got a few illustrations for you so hope i'm operating this right let me just show you a few pictures should get the first picture yes i'm afraid this has come out much smaller than i was hoping for but if you can see a sort of pale looks like a pale blue box on the top right uh it's perhaps better if i just explain this for you i thought it would come out much bigger but anyway this is city of jerusalem in new testament times and it was, a, it was actually a very small city with uh, enclosed walls. And that little box on the top right, I'm just gonna have to explain this for you because the details are too small, really. At the top of that box on the right would be the Sheep Gate. It's just north of the temple. What was called Herod's Temple was on a west-east axis with the Holy of Holies on the west side, facing the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Just north of it would be the Sheep Gate. You go through that, and you're out of the the actual city of Jerusalem. Jesus must have gone through there. And then, just to the left, would have been, and we'll come to our next illustration... That's it. That would be the Herod's Temple. Uh, it's moved on a bit. Uh, that would be Herod's Temple. If we go back one, that's it. That's Herod's, that's Herod's Temple. And then if we come on to the next picture, this is what we're interested in. This would be just to the east of Herod's Temple would be the Pool of Bethesda. It was only excavated in the late 19th century. And it's it's very big it's actually two pools I'm going to tell you all about it in a few moments and then it should be one last illustration I don't know if you can see the details there you can see some steps going down into the water because some of that water was very deep some authorities say it was 40 feet deep I mean, I've been there I've seen it it's, it looks very deep some people claim parts of it were down to 80 feet deep it's a very big impressive building what remains of it and it does fit what the Bible describes in John 5 So perhaps we'll just leave that picture with us as we go through the sermon. Right, let me just say a few things by way of introduction. Look, I don't have to tell you, our world is in turmoil at the moment. I'm not going through the details of the origin of it, though I do have a view on it. It's in terrible turmoil at the moment, all over the world. Another factor to add is this, and the debacle in Afghanistan fits in with this. The Muslim world thinks that the wheel of history has turned and it's turned in their favor now. The Muslim world was very quiet just over a century ago, right until about, about the time of the Great War. Very quiet for centuries, but now they think the wheel of history's turned and it's in their favor. We've had the terrible business in Afghanistan. That shows another factor of the world that we're living in. The United States, is in a situation it hasn't been in, in my opinion, since the Civil War of the 1860s. It's almost leaderless, this this hasn't happened before. It's very, very weak. And we also see Russia, China, Iran, all militant states, and they think this is their opportunity as well. All these big world events around us, and yet, and yet we turn to our reading, and it seems such a little thing. It's a little country we're thinking of. Well, we live in a little country. I'm very proud to be, be one of us in Northern Ireland. 5,000 square miles. The land of Israel would be 8,000 square miles. It's about the size of Wales. It's just a little territory. And yet, here's an incident where Jesus, the divine Son of God, he meets with one man. It seems such a little story, and yet it isn't. This is a story that should register in our hearts and help us, whatever crisis there is around on the surface of the globe at the moment. This is a little story we should look at, and yet there are some very important things that happen in this. Now, here's the title of our sermon it comes from our text A Pool which is called in Hebrew, I know the Bible reading I had earlier on was mentioning Aramaic. Aramaic's almost the same as Hebrew, it's very, very similar. A pool which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, house of mercy, or it could be house of grace. And that leads me onto the points we're going to make. There are two points, only two. The first 13 verses, Jesus showed grace to a man. And my second point doesn't sound very different but he showed grace a second time in a different way so the first 13 verses he shows grace in one way to this man and then he compounds it verses 14 to 18 something happens Jesus helps this man a second time he needs a second blessing it's all there now let's come to our text here after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After this, well, when you look at the earlier parts of John's Gospel, then of course you'll know that the first recorded miracle was at the wedding Cana in Galilee, Ha Galil, uh, the land of the rolling hills, further north. And then you read, just before our text, again it's in Cana. Of Galilee, Jesus heals a nobleman's son, and it actually says this is the second miracle of Jesus. Our text follows hard on after that. So, therefore, it may well be I can't say for certain, but it looks like this is the third miracle of Jesus. It looks like it's probably that. Now, imagine John, young once when Jesus chose him. As one of the disciples, one of the learners, and like 11 out of 12 of the disciples from Galilee, from the rolling hills country. There was only one exception and Judas Iscariot, Judah-ish Kiriot, the man from the village of Kiriot near Jerusalem. So Judas, the betrayer, was the only Judean. All the others were from the north country. But interestingly, aged John We believe writing in the year year of our Lord, 90. He was a pastor in the city of Ephesus, one of the great cities of the old world. He records this story. And you'll notice it says after this, that's after the mention of the healing of the nobleman's son in Cana of Galilee. Now it says there was a feast of the Jews. Now it's not named so I can't say this with absolute certainty, but I can say this: it's not Passover. It's well beyond that. Passover is in the springtime. In the land of Israel, you have a long, hot summer, months and months without rain, months and months of glorious sunshine, if you like it. I know we had a hot summer in July. Well, it was a bit like that, only more so and much drier. But month after month, you go through the long hot summer without any Jewish festivals but you come round to the autumn with a triple set of festivals it seems to me this is most likely to be the festival of trumpets it's there in Leviticus I'm not going to go into it in detail because I need to major on what Jesus actually did in this story but it may well be the festival of trumpets making use of the melted and cleaned ram's horn blown a hundred times in the day and the festival of trumpets after babylonia it became also the jewish civil new year it became that as well so people often jewish people think of this as the jewish new year just coming up this time of the year so a feast of the jews most likely there are definitely festival of trumpets since babylonia also known as the jewish new year and jesus went up to jerusalem now you always go up to jerusalem it is high it's in a mountainous area i've been there you get snow in the winter there sometimes it has no major river that's very important to us that links up with our text jerusalem is a very important city no major river there and water in the land of israel is is vital now if you go right up to the north of the country There is the most enormous mountain, regardless part of the northern boundary, Mount Hermon. It's a colossal mountain. Suppose I tell you it's 20 miles long, and it goes north right up into Lebanon. And that would be snow-capped. And then the waters would melt from that coming downhill, and that would form the headwaters of the River Jordan. And that goes into the Sea of Galilee. Then it continues south, meandering along the Jordan Valley. And then it finishes in the Dead Sea, which is long way below sea level and very salty. There it dies. But the land of Israel very dependent on on, on water because you go so long in the year in many parts of the country without any rainfall. The further south you go, the drier it gets. So Jerusalem, no major river. It's important. It should have a water supply and there was in earlier centuries the attempt to provide the city with some water and what happened was in the 8th century bc long time before the new testament a dam was built across the beth zeta valley sounds like bethesda already beth Zita valley and that was to form a reservoir for rainwater. a rock cut channel brought water into the city so it could have a regular water supply. It's in 2 Kings, the details of that. That was called the upper pool. And before New Testament times, a second pool was added. So there are two pools right next to each other. And then later on, there were five covered colonnades provided. Let me try and explain it like this. The two pools together formed a sort of rectangle over 300 feet long. Over 100 feet wide and there was a system of colonnades all down one side all down another side the two ends that makes four so far there was one across the middle five covered colonnades now it mentions it in our text doesn't it see verse 2 Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate that was a gate in the north of the city so when Jesus went to visit this area he would have left the temple courts, didn't have to go very far, went through the sheep gate. And that's, that was a gate on the city where a poll tax would have been charged for sheep coming into the city from the north for, for going into the market. And there is, by the sheep gate, a pool, called in Hebrew, Bethesda having five porches. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. I mean, I did read a uh, few works by other people before doing my sermon. Don't worry, I didn't copy what they said. But uh, a very fine Hebrew Christian in the 19th century, Alfred Edersheim, he wrote about the Pool of Bethesda. He was confident it existed. But in his time in the 19th century, there were lots of modernist theologians, and they said, Pool of Bethesda, ah, it's all mythology. It never existed. In the late 19th century, it was dug up. I've shown you one photograph of it. I've been there. And they found it, and it's colossal. And indeed, it's got steps going down to it. And it's colossal, because it's thought that these provided the main reservoir for the, for the temple and the city of Jerusalem. It was essential, it existed. Alfred Hadrian wrote about it, even though all around him people were saying, well, oh, a bit of mythology. It was very popular in the 19th century, God, anything the Bible said as mythology. But it's not. Now I think there is some mythology involved in the story, and I'm going to explain to you why and tell you which part of it is. But there's a great amount of truth in addition. Truth versus mythology. Let me put it that way. So Alfred Adersheim was quite right to say this building really did exist. John says it, having five porches. Well it did. It had these five sets of colonnades round the four sides. And then for mathematicians, you'll agree there are five because there's one along the middle, uh, a set of, of colonnades as well. Now, what happened was this, because it provided good shade from a scorching sun, you can get it some days in Jerusalem, I've been there, then people who are ill, I've seen in Jerusalem, I've seen beggars there, I've seen blind beggars sit by the roadside and they've got a bowl and they're begging money. You get this a lot in Oriental cities, you get it in Jerusalem. No social service in those days. So a lot of poor people who were sick they gathered under these colonnades it was a nice sheltered area for them and we read in our text in verse 3 and these lay a great multitude of sick people now we've got a whole collection here blind lame paralyzed and then i need to explain something about the text You will have noticed when I read from the pulpit Bible, it didn't include the end of verse three and none of verse four. There isn't full agreement, you see, on whether this is a gloss on what John actually wrote. So I'll just read to you the missing section, then I want to comment on it. It goes on to say, blind, lame, paralyzed, this is the section that's not included in the pulpit Bible. Some Bibles don't have it. They will comment on it. My Bible has got in. I'll explain what I think in a moment. Waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, that's the disputed part of the text. If if any of you got a Bible with you, you'll see there's probably some sort of footnote there commenting on it. Probably says something like, this isn't in all the texts. It'll probably say that. May even have it uh, italicized to show that there's not agreement on whether it should be in the text. Now, this I want to say. If it is in the text, in the original, it doesn't mean that John is saying an angel really went down into the water. And I'll give you the proof of that because later on it even says in the text that um, Jesus broke the Sabbath. It says that in verse 18. The Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So it says that. But you see, it needs a bit of interpretation. I shall be commenting on that in a moment, whether Jesus was a big sinner breaking the Sabbath. you think Jesus broke any rules. Not God made rules, but man made rules. Yeah, he did break a few rules, man made ones, or added afterwards. But that's a different matter. So. Is this meant to be in the text? You see, if it was in John's original, he's simply quoting what the local people thought. They developed this idea. You see, water was so important, you ended up with what you call an urban myth, you see. Now, in a moment, I'll comment on whether I might be wrong about this, because if I'm wrong, we've still got verse seven to help me along, and I'll explain that in a moment. You see, here was the urban myth developed in those days people thought an angel went down into the water. It's quoted here in in verse 4. At certain times and stirred up the water. Now, if you're lucky and you get in first, whatever's wrong with you, you'll get healed. You know, I don't know what it's like to be ill for 38 years. Just imagine, if anyone here is 80, it's almost half your life. If anyone here is 40, it's almost all of your life. For any 20 year olds, it's almost four times the life you've had so far. 38 years, an awful chunk of your life. Now, I don't know what it is to be paralyzed, but I, I remember once I was ill just for a very short time. I'd been in London, I'm glad I've escaped, but anyway, I was in London, I was on an underground train coming home to our local station, South Woodford. This is where we lived. was old Winston Churchill country. He used to be the member of parliament once in Woodford for many, many decades. But anyway, I came home and train some years ago. I can't remember how far back, a couple of decades maybe, and I was taken ill. I think I had some sort of form of flu. I suddenly lost all my strength, and it's not like me to do this, but I, I said, can, can someone give me a seat, please? I'm not well. Uh, perhaps they all thought I was gonna die on the train. I certainly felt like it. But anyway, someone gave me a seat. I sat down. I can tell you, you would not like to travel the Central Line, 600,000 passengers per day on the Central Line alone. But anyway, I was on a crowded train, and I managed to get to the local station. Somehow I staggered out, and I got to where my car was parked a few streets away. I don't know how I did it, I managed to drive home three quarters of a mile. And when I got home, I sort of we had very steep stairs in our terraced house in London. I had to sort of drag myself up the steep stairs. I couldn't even walk. I had to drag myself up to the top, get into bed, and I was knocked out. Well, I eventually recovered. But you see, I felt really ill. That was just perhaps for a couple of days. But here is someone 38 years. Now, interestingly, it says here that there was a certain man, verse 5, who had an infirmity 38 years. Now, if you look up the Greek for infirmity, you're not going to learn any more. That's all it means. It doesn't, it's, it's quite open. It doesn't tell you any more. In other words, if you look up infirmity in the Greek, it's not going to tell you he had two legs missing or whatever was wrong with him. It doesn't tell you. And I think that's deliberate. See, sometimes you read of situations Jesus enters into And it's left open what the condition could be because it's saying, look, Jesus helped that person. He can help again in another situation. Now, something else to consider. Did Jesus only help that one man that day? It seems to me he did because there's a lot of involvement with the Jewish authorities afterwards. And don't forget, the man himself would have been Jewish. Everything in the New Testament, this is indicating otherwise. It's all a Jewish situation so he was Jewish himself. So in other words, let's not think in terms of, you know, the hard Jews and this poor man who Jesus helps is something else. He's not. He's also obviously Jewish, unless it indicates otherwise. But I think maybe on that day, Jesus did only help him in that situation, because otherwise, one would have had the Jewish authorities complaining, you know, what about all these 50 people Jesus raised up helped on the Sabbath? Well, they don't, they only complain about this one man. So it looks like it's just him who's helped. Now, so, now I mentioned just now a local urban myth, about uh, the idea of the angel going down in the water and stirring water. See, I think it would reflect on God if that really was the situation. Isn't that a bit strange that of all the sick people You've got to be the strongest one out of the great mass of people who are blind, sick in some way, lame, paralysed, whatever. You've got to beat all the others to it as soon as the water's stirred up. You've got to get in before the others. You know, lucky you if someone could kick you in and you get there a millisecond before someone else. And, uh, you know, jump out of the water. I'm okay now. I'm fine. It would reflect on Got would be a very strange thing, wouldn't it? Sort of, you know, lucky lottery sort of thing. That's all it would be now I don't think that that really happened angel went down I hope don't think I'm a modernist I'm not far from it I'm a fundamentalist but I think this is an urban myth whether John's just quoting it or not because after all later on he says Jesus broke the Sabbath but that requires interpretation just as this does now supposing I'm wrong supposing this shouldn't be in the text it would make no difference whatsoever to the whole story because in verse seven you've still got the man saying, and there's no problem with the text in verse seven at all. Serve no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. You see, he believed this local myth; they all did round there. He believed he's got to have someone to help him get into the water first. When the water's stirred up, then he'll be all right. So even if verses three, being four aren't in the original text verse 7 would still be saying exactly the same thing now I'm in my background a geographer so I'm very interested in this you see there was an underground spring there and now and again the water bubbled up now and again it would just bubble up so that's what you had in that situation now let's look at what Jesus did because this is no mythology. A certain man had an infirmity 38 years. In verse 6, Jesus turns up. Now, he's come north. He's come north from the temple grounds. They covered 36 acres. It was a very big area, the temple grounds. Only the Kohenim, the priesthood, would work in the temple itself. Jesus wouldn't because he, of course, was a tribe of Judah. So it would only be those who are Kohenim, the Kohen who would be drawn from the tribe of Levi, they would operate in the temple just further south. The people who ran the administration of the temple were the Sadducees. Interestingly, they only believed in this life. They were rich, aristocratic. They only believed in this life. They were real modernists, the Sadducees. They took away from the word of God. And they didn't believe in angels. And Jesus went from the temple grounds, through the Sheep Gate, into this area, to the Pool of Bethesda, very important function as a major reservoir, and there were steps down into it, because although I said earlier on it's at least 40 feet deep, and some authorities say up to 80 feet deep, not all of it was, you could be near the steps and just step into the water, you see. So he sees this man like the common mass of all these poor people all waiting for the stirring the bubbling up of the water when jesus saw him lying there i wonder what view the man had of jesus see if he's lying down maybe he just saw the feet but he still would have heard the voice when jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time because the lord knows all the difficulties people go through. He knows everything about you, knows everything about me, knew everything about this man, knew he'd been there a very long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? I expect the man thought, Oh, perhaps he's turned up to talk to me, perhaps he's going to push me in quickly. You know, when the water bubbles up, no such luck, it's not going to happen. But Jesus says, Do you want to be made well? I don't know if I've said this to you before. I'm so jealous of people in New Testament times. They heard the precise tone of the voice. Just imagine that. Jesus spoke to you, heard the exact gracious words dropping from his lips. Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered, verse 7, because, you see, he, like the others, thought, I need to get pushed in at the right moment. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. and it bubbles up, I've got to be quick, straight away. While I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now that's the local mythology. Does Jesus make any use of it? Just say, hang on a minute, let's wait till the water bubbles will kick you in first. you do that? Notice he avoids it totally. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. It is a commandment. He says, just do this, rise. So he avoids all of the water treatment. Get up and walk. And of course, there could be no other result. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now, Jesus didn't rely on the man having faith in him, did he? The man was hoping like all the others he could get in first with the bubbling of the water and perhaps if he saw the shadow of someone standing over him he thought that was the sort of help he might get just possibly and we don't even read the man had faith in Jesus but Jesus commands him rise get up carry your divan and he it was made well, took up his red and water. Now, no problem so far. But what about the next part of the verse? And that day was the Sabbath. Now, in the Jewish world, Sabbath runs Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Sabbath comes from a Hebrew root meaning seventh. Of course, you know, Genesis It's not mythology. Genesis is all narrative. It's not, not poetry like the modernists like to say. It's narrative. And we read in the original account... On the sixth day, and God had made everything, it was good. It was very good. Nothing was wrong at all. Everything was peaceful. Everything was perfect. And then God rested. And then, when Israel on Mount Sinai was given the Ten Commandments, it includes, of course, in Exodus 20, you're going to rest on the Sabbath day. Because that's just what I did. I worked for six days, and I rested. You will copy my working week, you'll copy that. God said to Israel, that day was a Sabbath. Now, a Sabbath is meant to be enjoyed, of course. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus actually establishes that elsewhere. So, really, if Jesus restores a man on the Sabbath, it's got to be something good, hasn't it? He's given a man back his life after 38 years of suffering. Verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. You see, it wasn't lawful, but let me explain why. As far as God is concerned, not a problem. But the religious Jews, the Pharisees in particular, though they were not modernist, they added to the Word of God. They invented Orthodox Judaism post- AD70. And the Pharisees, what they did was to have masses of rules and regulations. It wasn't written down wasn't written down until about 200 AD it started to be put written down but it was all all oral all tradition oral law and according to their oral laws there were 39 categories of things you can't do on the Sabbath so you can't carry a divan because that's work you're carrying it not allowed to do that so you see the man would now be breaking their man-made additional laws so terrible offense so when the jews find this man see verse 12 they asked him who's the man who said to you take up your bed and walk they want to know but they don't say isn't this wonderful poor man was restored isn't that gracious they don't say that they say who is it who told you who did this to you who made you carry a burden on sabbath you see breaking the man-made regulations But now we think, just for a few moments of this second point, Jesus showed grace a second time. The one who was healed, there's no doubt about it, verse 13, didn't know who it was. Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. So it looks like Jesus just dealt with the one man. Afterwards, Jesus found him, but found him in a good place, in the temple. That means in the temple grounds, the temple courts. So maybe that man had just gone south now, again, through the sheep gate Perhaps that man, he'd be very grateful to the Lord. Perhaps I can imagine him in that area, thanking God that he'd been helped. And the, then you find in verse 13, Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being there. Afterward, verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you have been made well. Now that's stage one. But notice Jesus tells him something else. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. So I don't know... What was involved here? Maybe this man had some bitterness in his heart, but in some way there was something that wasn't right, that, that he'd been involved in something that grieved the heart of God. Jesus, said, sin no more. So he must have been involved in something, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now notice it must have some effect. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. Now look, if you'd been ill, really ill for nearly four decades, and the authorities push you to know, you know who did this. You know, what would the state of your heart be in talking to them? Surely this man would give a good report of Jesus. They, they nagged him earlier on, he goes back to them and says, it's Jesus made me well, maybe be all ebullient, I can just imagine him being very joyful, being very disappointed they didn't share his joy. <laughs> so that's stage two, Jesus brought the man to see he needed to be forgiven his sin. And we just finish off with this, verses 16: 17. For this reason, the Jews, meaning the Jewish authorities, persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Notice what it says in the text, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, "My father has been working until now, and I have been working." Jesus did a good thing on the Sabbath, in fact, he did two good things: both the work and then the words these are good things that Jesus provided first the body but then the soul that needed curing as well therefore the Jews sought verse 18 all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath you see it says that in the text he broke the Sabbath we see you have to interpret it. you have to say well not God's law on the Sabbath the Sabbath was made for man but the Pharisee understanding would be man was made for the Sabbath they got it the wrong way around Rules and regulations, a great burden of them. So if you carry your divan on the Sabbath, you're carrying a burden. That is forbidden. But they were also offended that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now they understood, their theology was better than the state of their hearts. They understood Jesus made himself equal with God, which he did. He's fully divine. Of course he is. He was and he is. But they understood the theological claim. But their state of their hearts was hardened. On that day, Jesus did a great work, but also helped the man with his words. Rise, take up your bed and walk. But also, Jesus would advise that man to walk with the Lord and be forgiven his sin. Dear friends, whatever is your health today, whatever it's like, And whatever it is, your relationship with God, it's certainly very nice to be healthy physically, but it's essential. You need it for the next world. It's essential that we have a right relationship with God. And there is not going to be a worse thing coming upon us because we want to continue in any sin. The Lord bless each one of you. And let's close our service by singing together. Oh, it fits in so well with our text. I didn't choose this, someone else did, but it's just right. Amazing grace. be seated. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.